another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Goley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop to the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald, my co-host, Tony Zip-Terris. Tony, how's it going? Well, it's been a very up and down week, in uh, or two weeks, I guess, in Kingsland, but an end result of 4-4 four and four at this point in the season, I'm pretty happy with, and I'm sure that's what we'll talk about on the show today. We have a lot to talk about today, so we're going to jump right in here. He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst. GM of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, the true pride of French League himself. It's Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, how's it going today? I'm pretty good. You're really looking forward to this, especially after the Kings uh, played a couple of nice ball games. So uh, <laughs> make, makes it a little easier to jump into. After, after that Houston game, I was a little worried that I was going to have we were going to have to sludge back to our old, you know, 2021 type uh, podcasting. So it was it was nice to get a relief there. Okay, so as Tony mentioned, we're nearly 10 games into the season. The Kings find themselves at 4-4 four and four with this last 13 days being played without Mr. De'Aaron Fox, who's been sitting with that bum ankle that we prognosticated about last episode. The Kings have gone 2-3 and three in the All-Stars' absence. Uh, they lost at the buzzer to a Clay Thompson jumper. They got absolutely gut-busted two games in a row by the suddenly upstart Rockets. They got an overtime win against the shorthanded uh, Trailblazers squad and an NBA midseason tournament cup win against the team I'll try very, very hard not to carry water for today, the Oklahoma City Thunder. So at the time of the recording, we're about uh, three hours from tip-off uh, Kings and Cavs with De'Aaron Fox's return imminent. But before we can get to an episode where we talk about his return, we first got to get to an episode that talks about his absence. So guys, we'll get to most of the games, but we're going to start off in the macro here. We've seen moral victories. We've seen good wins. We've seen bad wins. We've seen bad losses. What did you guys take away from these last five games with Foxconn? Well, for me, it, it, it just kind of exaggerated the value of Fox. Uh, this team certainly uh, in no way is as good without him, even though they played a great, great ball game, I thought, against the Warriors, had a great chance to win, but didn't and without Fox. And then those two abominations in Houston, and uh, which is that second abomination was probably one of the more surprisingly bad games uh that i've seen in years and uh just fully i just wasn't ready for it you know just wasn't ready for it and uh but uh yeah uh the loss of fox is significant to offense until just really uh the last game or so started looking a little bit like itself you know but uh you know not having the guy that can stop runs Get and more importantly, get a shot, get a good shot uh, when you need it, uh, because this team doesn't have a lot of shot creators. Yeah, it's after those first two two Houston losses; those felt very bad. Like I thought this podcast was going to have a real negative tone to it, and the Kings treated them like very bad losses too. Mike Brown benched uh, Davion Mitchell for Keon Ellis, which is a, a huge swing going from. Davion Mitchell to a, a two-way player, putting him in starting lineup at point guard, where Keon Ellis is not even a, a, a real point guard, in my opinion. He's more of a two guard that that I guess is playing point, uh, if you're looking at the depth chart. So it was, a, it was a really rocky week, but it ended on such a high note with the win against the Thunder that I feel okay coming out of all this. But it, there was definitely some moments last week where I was feeling pretty down on this team because those Houston Rockets performances were so pathetic but Mike Brown made some very uh harsh but needed and necessary adjustments and they played better coming out of that so uh you can see like Jerry mentioned you can see how valuable Fox is this team for the first time in the Mike Brown era is bad on offense and I was just looking at the numbers before we started recording they're 28th in field goal percentage 27th in three-point percentage 27th in free throw percentage 23rd in pace so for what has been an awesome offensive team this season, they have been pretty pretty bad, and it has been their defense, their defensive rating, their 14th in the league, that has kind of carried them since uh, putting Keon Ellis in that starting lineup. So Mike Brown has made some necessary adjustments to fix things, but it has been a very weird, weird week. 
Yeah, I really thought too, uh, Coach Brown. You know, uh, that's why I was so surprised that the team came out and played worse in the second Houston yeah. game. I thought uh, that just took me by surprise. Of course, uh, our uh, Will, our our man Tony here, uh, uh, was high <laughs> on Sinjin all along, and that guy is good. I yeah. mean, he may he may be one of the top three rookies in that class, three or four. I mean, he's uh, at worst a uh, Brad Miller type. You know, which is pretty damn good. <laughs> That's about the low end for him. I think he's much better than that. Of course, I have to say I did watch a Jokic knock him around like a rag doll last night. <laughs> but he does that to a lot of guys. But yeah, it. Uh, yeah, it, I, I think there's some interesting things here. I thought Brown by by moving Davion back to the the bench. You know, he's been very good that way. And, uh, and, and Ellis has been very solid, you know, ball mover, good defender, not trying to get out of his lane, I think, which was really needed. little surprise that JaVale McGee really, because uh, I thought he played okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Alex Lynn, I haven't said that. I think Alex has played better, Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, so there's that. So really some, some solid moves. And, and then the, I just will finish on this. I mean, Herter has really not been good at all. But the thing I loved the way Brown handled it, he kept starting him and playing him. Now, he didn't play him very much, but he didn't, you know, and I always say that's patience is truly a virtue. And that's, that's one of the ways, you know, when you've got a proven guy, uh, you don't want to give up on him and show, you know, but yet you got to pull their strings some. And, that, and that's what he did. And now it looks like Kevin's back on track. Yeah, let's start with Kevin Herter. I, I want to run through a list of some of the guys since Fox has been out. And Herter's as perfect as any to start with. Uh, his first five games of the season, Herter was averaging, Jerry, as you mentioned, 23 minutes. That's not a lot of minutes for that guy. 28.9% from the field, 20% from three, six points per game, uh, 6.8 points per game, and five and a half rebounds. Those last three games that he's played, 32 minutes a game, 19.3 points, 5.7 rebounds, 50% from the field, 40% from three on nine attempts. What, what's been the difference? Is this just waiting it out until the, the proven commodity shooter becomes a shooter again? A little bit, you know, but it's, it's like you pointed out. I mean, uh, Mike, while he's waiting for Kevin to become who Kevin is and has been, uh, he pulled his string cause he wasn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, and, and so, so I, I think that's the best way of doing it. You know, you don't want to give up on a veteran so quick. That's for sure. It'd be different if a younger player. Uh, yeah, I like that. I mean, I like everything about that. And and uh, I really think it, you know, was good for uh, Davion. You know, I, I thought my old broadcast partner made a great point on him. I was doing, you know, do a little show with him. And he said he just didn't feel like Davion fits his style of play very well. And, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but I think there's a lot of truth. And this is what I would say, and I know he said, is, you know, that he just doesn't push the ball very well, nearly as well. The team isn't as fast, getting a fast pace with him. And I said, you know, and that's true. And I, and I got to thinking, it's like, wait a minute. Davion was terrific in college, you know, at Baylor, playing pretty much a half-court game, hmm. you know, where they really got into sets, walked it down, you know, beat you up defensively and walked it down offensively and kind of, and beat you. And, and that doesn't mean he can't uh, do better, but I think it is sometimes you, you know, maybe that's who he is, you know, that, that, that's either kind of a backup on a really a fast paced team or, uh, you know, a point guard couldn't maybe on a real structured, more half court kind of attack. And, and I'm not really knocking the guy. I think he's really good player. He's not Sinjin, but he's a really good player. Yeah. Tony, how have you felt about Davion Mitchell's play with Fox's with Fox being out? I, I would be lying if I didn't say I was disappointed. I mean, we've been pretty pro Davion Mitchell on this podcast since he was drafted, and this was his opportunity. We talked about it last episode. This was his opportunity to show us what he can do with a larger role, and he it it wasn't all his fault either. I want to make that clear because I know a lot of people, especially on Twitter, were were blaming Davion for the Kings getting blown out by the Rockets two nights in a row or two games in a row. 
Davion was not good in those games, but that whole the whole team was a mess in, in those nights. <laughs> so it's hard for me to put it all on him. That being said, he did he did flop in what was a real good opportunity for him. Where a guy like Keon Ellis, he has done a better job really by just getting out of the way. It's almost like when Davion was starting, Davion was playing point guard. And with Keon Ellis starting, it's like Sabonis and Herter and Keegan Murray are kind of playing point guard and having the ball in their hands. And the offense flowed much better with Keon Ellis just being like this passive guy who would bring the ball up and then uh, pass it to someone else. So for whatever reason, the Davion Mitchell experiment as a starter did not work at all. And the whole team was bad when he was when he was starting. But yeah, I did not think it was a great look for Davion in Fox's absence. But he is not the only guy who has been bad since Fox went out. And I'm sure we'll talk about Harrison Barnes and other guys who have struggled in Fox's absence. So Davion Mitchell, to me, has been disappointing without Fox, but he's far from the only guy you could say that about. Jerry, um, how do you feel about uh, Keon Ellis and the way he stepped into the role that Davion kind of left the door open for him to take over? You know, I, I think Tony was right on there. I mean, what what's good about uh, Ellis is he really isn't trying to play point guard. Mm-hmm. He's letting Sabonis do it. And and I mean, and no, I don't mean this as disrespect to Davion because he thought he was supposed to be a point guard. And and this team really, and that's one thing about Fox. Fox doesn't really try to be. He's a scorer who becomes a point guard maybe as a scorer in fourth quarters. But overall, you know, the he gets the, the ball, and certainly Domas really gets the ball moving one way or another. And so I think Ellis brings good defense and, uh, as Tony said, kind of stays in his lane uh, and allows – the kind of the more important players to be more important. And I think that's a key, uh, you know, no question. I mean, it was Keegan uh, was trying hard and doing a lot of good things and just useless on offense <laughs> until <laughs> just worse than useless. And, you know, you had to worry. And then uh, I still say the, the second game in Houston, Domas, that's the worst game I've ever seen him play anywhere. And that that's going back to Gonzaga. And it's like, what are you doing out there? And, you know, it's like it's scary. Uh, but then again, he, the last two games he's been Domas again. Thank, thank the Lord for that. But uh, And as Tony pointed out, or you pointed out, there's plenty of blame to go around there. And, you know, I'll get right to Harrison. Do you know? I'd look at the stats. He is the most productive score of efficiency of anybody. Now, <laughs> yeah. How about that? But it's like, if you're going to shoot three or four times a game, yeah, yeah it's like, my <laughs> yeah. God, you know, Harrison, get involved. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, I'll, I'd blame the coach a little bit here uh, in this sense. Uh, Harrison, I haven't seen him post up once. Yes. Yeah. And he needs to be posting up underneath Sabonis high. And, uh, you know, he did last year very effectively. And so he's just kind of getting lost out there on the wing. And like I say, I don't know. To me, it's a, it's, it may be 70% him, but it's, you know, they, they really got encouraged. He's never been a, a selfish guy, but it's also true. You can't, uh, you know, have a career or a season based on a half a game either. And, uh, you know, you take that first half of the Utah game. I mean, it's like he really has become invisible. <laughs> yeah. Um, Greg, uh, editor for the Kings Herald and host of our sister podcast, Living the Beam, he wrote an article just a couple of days ago about this, about especially diving into fan expectations versus Barnes' slow start to the season. And he's kind of come to the conclusion that this is just who Harrison Barnes is now, you know, that, you know, he started off slow last year as well, similarly slow and picked it up from there but it, is there is there hope for Harrison now that he's a fifth option Jerry that he can still take that that it, still crank it up to another level both on the offensive and defensive end or is this kind of just a sign of the change to come that defensively he's an older guy just trying to keep up and offensively he's the fifth option kind of lollygagging around until the playoffs come around well i you know i think he can be similar to last year. I, I just don't see any reason to believe that other than the fact he hadn't done anything <laughs> since <laughs> first half, but he was also like Michael Jordan for a half too. And, you know, you can't, you can't discount that either, but I, I do. I, I think 
if, if there's one thing I think about Harrison, there's not, he totally will not search for shots. He's not a guy that's going out there and try to get his own shot one-on-one -on -one very often. And I think he has to be encouraged to do that. I think that you got to go to his strength. And, and I like I say, I think he's the best post-up guy on this team. And when's the last time you saw him in the post? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think there's ways to get him involved early that, that the team really ought to think about, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, he's got enough talent to where he should be a 12 to 15 point a game guy in his sleep. You know, I mean, just by being who he is, and, you know, whether obviously Keegan might be ready to move up a notch, but uh, still. So, yeah, I'm not, I know a lot of people, I'm, I'm just not ready to give up on him. I, I think most of it's his fault, but not all. Tony, slide in here a little bit and tell us from a fan's perspective what you see in Harrison Barnes so far this season. I guess this is kind of unfortunately at least who fans think Harrison Barnes is, and sometimes that comes off harsher than than maybe reality, but Harrison Barnes has unfortunately been a player here that at least from my view does disappear, and it it just it hurts more when you need a guy like that to step up, and he, he was like the best example of a player who you would want to step up in Fox's absence. He just got a new contract. He's a veteran player. He's been here for so long. He is a leader of sorts for this team. And uh, even more than Davion Mitchell, who who got a lot of criticism during this run, Barnes just hasn't done it. And to Jerry's point, I had the same numbers here. He's the only one shooting above 40% from three uh, in the rotation. In fact, the only other, the next best three-point shooter who's healthy is Malik Monk, and he's shooting 34% from three, which is below league average. So this team is, as a whole, super cold from three. And Harrison Barnes, so Harrison Barnes, he, he is shooting it okay. He's just not shooting it enough, and he's not giving the Kings enough of what they need. So it's been a disappointing run for Barnes, just like Mitchell, but unfortunately this is kind of just who he is. I'm not too worried about it because I think by the end of the year, his numbers will look about what they've been his entire run here. So it's just unfortunate that he couldn't put together a really strong run right now because this is when they really could have used one. Tony, I want to give you an, uh, uh, an option, too, to also talk about Sabonis' play in Fox's absence. He's averaging 17 points, uh, 11.6 rebounds, 7.8 assists, uh, and four and a half turnovers. That second game Jerry mentioned, uh, he had four total field goal attempts in 30 minutes. It's not like he got pulled in the first half or was injured. He played 30 whole minutes and had four field goal attempts. Followed that up uh, with uh, a game against uh, DeAndre dominating Ayton. And the Blazers, uh, where he scored 27 points, had 11 boards and nine assists. How have you felt Sabonis has played in his time without Fox manning the helm? Outside of the Rockets games, he's been awesome. But it's just the uh, <laughs> it's those Rockets games that really kind of tanks the perception of everyone to a certain degree. But he was he was really unstoppable against Oklahoma City. His rebounding has been incredible. His his uh, uptick in assists and passing with Fox's absence has been huge. So as long as they don't totally fall apart like they did against Houston, I'm pretty happy with what Sabonis is giving him. It's just that was a weird, weird two-game stretch there. Well, yeah, he's, I mean, the guy's stamina and toughness and uh, is just remarkable. I mean, he's not near talented enough to do all the stuff he does. Uh, you know, he just is simply <laughs> a, one of the great competitors I've ever seen. Uh, and I still get... Of course, he hadn't shot his free throws very well, and that's and that's mainly the difference why he's basically below his last five years' average of around 19 points a game. He's <laughs> uh, shooting free throws worse. Uh, other than that, you know, I, you look at the stats, and there he is. You know, uh, he just leading team in assists, leading team in rebounds. Uh, really, without Fox, a leading scorer, uh, averaging almost a block a game defensively. I think he's been much better defensively this year than last year for the most part, you know, other than when uh, Tony's guy kicked his butt, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's, you know, my, my only criticism and it's been consistent is he turns down too many easy shots trying to find teammates. Yep. You know, don't turn down easy twos looking for guys for three. And I understand when it's one thing if everybody's making them, but, you know, I thought that had a lot to do with the offense stagnating because, you know, he's in there working to kick the ball out to somebody who couldn't make a shot. 
So uh, we talked about Davion Mitchell in terms of him passing up an opportunity to prove that he either deserves more playing time or belongs closer to the front of the rotation than the back. Uh, another guy that I, I, I want to talk about, a little bit different circumstances here, but it's Keegan. We, we've kind of touched on him a little bit, but I want to get into it a little bit here. Uh, before the breakout game against OKC, Keegan with Fox out was averaging nine and a half points, five rebounds, two assists, 29% from the field. I don't really think he's completely broken out of that slump shooting from, uh, you know, shooting, but, but that OKC game kind of skews everything. Talk to me a little bit about how Keegan's played in Fox's absence and how we, we kind of hope that he might take that jump to be a first or second score with Fox out really hasn't done that. Is that a, is that just a, a sophomore in the league, not finding his place just yet? Or is, is this something else? Well, I, I think it's a little bit of several things myself. I mean, I do think that his second year in the league team scouting, you know, I mean, he's, he surprised a few people. Uh, you know, I think he's a little higher up on the uh, charts of uh, teams when they play the Kings we, of what how to stop Keegan, where I don't think that was ever very high up last year. So that's made it a little tougher for him. And I, I probably uh, disagreed a little bit with Coach Brown, you know, kind of encouraging him to shoot all the time. You know, in other words, it's like taking a guy out when he didn't feel like he was open. Now, he may have been, but he didn't feel like he was. And I've always thought one of the things I loved about Keegan's game last year is he never took bad shots, yep. you know. And and that's how you have a, a high percentage. I mean, I always remember, reminds me a little bit of Eddie Johnson, play for the Kings, which uh, only older fans would remember. But to get one of the reasons he was so good is he took good shots. I mean, he was a terrific shot maker, but he didn't force much. And and for the first time, in my mind, anyway, I saw Keegan taking quite a few bad shots, contested shots, tough shots on the move. Now, the last game, you know, I thought he did a great job of, of uh, breaking down the defense a little bit, getting into the mid-range, getting to the basket, things like that. And uh, so I don't have any you know, any concerns long-term. I mean, he'll sort it out, but uh, he's no, you know, he's no different than anybody else. Reggie Miller's not going to hit a high percentage of tough shots, you know? And, and so if you can't get wide open, comfortable shots, don't take them. That's what I tell him. Tony, how do you feel about him so far uh, with Fox uh, being out? I know maybe this makes me a hypocrite because I've, certainly criticize some players who haven't played well with Fox's in Fox's absence. I'm just not worried about Keegan Murray at all. And I really like for the most part, how he's playing. He's been very aggressive, which we all, you know, you can't teach aggressiveness and he he's made the aggression leap from year one to year two, which we were kind of worried about, you know, is Keegan Murray ever going to take enough shots and, and get the ball and, and be the guy and be aggressive enough. I think he is playing very aggressive. He's shooting, uh, he's shooting five more shots a game now than he did last year. He's, he's become a pretty good rebounder. I think his defense has been really solid. I think he's playing really hard. And I, I'm glad Jerry mentioned the the Mike Brown part about uh, maybe over-coaching him to shoot too many threes because I had the same thought where, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, what do I know? But it was is it really that bad to take it to the rim sometimes if you're in your own head already about shooting the three? To me, that was kind of like, it was always encouraged to like, oh, if you aren't shooting well, maybe just go to the rim a couple of times, get some easy shots. And Mike Brown is <laughs> screaming at him every time he doesn't shoot a three. And he already kind of seems in his head about shooting the three. So I, I didn't mind seeing Keegan Murray kind of go to the rim a little bit more when his shot wasn't falling. Um, but the fact that he's, I mean, the only thing preventing him from his numbers looking like he's having a very strong year is that three point percentage. And he's just not a 26% three point shooter. He's going to figure that part out. So I, I've been way more encouraged than discouraged, despite the fact that he still hasn't shot well in Fox's absence, and the Kings obviously could have used him to to shoot better. Yeah, you know my my eye test tells me too that in his three point shooting, uh, he's shooting quite a few of his three point shots off the move, mm -hmm. you know, and and as opposed to not getting as many uh, the spot shots and. There, there's nobody in the history of mankind other than Steph Curry that shoots better that way. And, uh, you know, last year that was the thing, you know, he was Pager-like in that sense, really uh, get his feet set, get comfortable, knock it down. And I still think that's where he needs to play. If it means 
two or three fewer threes a game, fine, fine. Uh, you know, the the key is hit a high percentage. <laughs> that, I mean, I know I'm old fashioned, but damn, you know, if you're going to shoot 10 of them, make four. That's all. Jerry, if you were coaching him, would you figure it's time to rein him back in a little bit, put him back into a role closer to what he was last year? Or are you just going to let him figure it out? You're throwing 50 things at him and you just hope every game he, he picks up on 10 of them. And eventually he gets used to the 50 things you throw at him and he can do them all fairly well. That's a great question. I mean, I, I, I love the way he's playing, except for, you know, yeah. to maybe forcing a few shots and not making them. Uh, you know, nobody uh, misses shots on purpose. So we we'll, we can throw that away. But as, as Tony mentioned, I mean, he's getting to the basket. He's playing aggressive. He's trying to escape dribble a little bit. Uh, certainly his defense rebounding. He's improved in every area from his rookie year, with the exception, in my mind, of the three-point shot. So if he'd asked me, I'd say, do, you know, keep, keep your game aggressive. If you've got good shots at three, take them. If they're not, Try to look for something else or look for teammates. Simple as that. Just take what the defense gives you. How's that? I know that's an old, <laughs> old fashioned. Take what the defense gives you, not what uh, they want to give you. I didn't have time to ask this when we were talking about Keon Ellis, but where do you guys see him going forward? Is this a flash in the pan that Mike Brown can then sit him back down on the bench until they they need him the next time Fox gets injured? Or has Keon Ellis in these last few games played himself into a bigger role off the bench for the Kings? I think he's an NBA player and uh, now his best role may be third guard on a, as you go, because that's kind of what he is a combo guard yeah. and, you know, he can guard two positions. He's got a little handling skill and he can also shoot the three pretty well. Uh, I think he's proven that he belongs in an NBA roster and, and probably as a rotation player going forward. And, and I think until proven otherwise, why not be a rotation? He couldn't be a rotation player on a on a 50 caliber type team. We just don't know enough yet. But no, I mean, I I think we were talking about him in the summer league. I mean, there was clearly he'd he'd gotten a lot better and was seemed to be better than some guys on other teams who actually had roles. So just just that thought. Tony, where do you see Keon uh, shaking out after Fox comes back? I know where I'd love to see him, and that is next to Malik Monk in the backcourt. I don't know where that leaves Davion Mitchell. Maybe you're playing Monk, Mitchell, and uh, Keon Ellis. I think that's fine. Your bench doesn't need to be big. You can have a small bench. Uh, what I think is the the biggest feather in Keon Ellis's cap is the Kings have played their best defense of the year with him on the court. I was uh, looking at clean, cleaning the glass. They have really good like defensive on-off numbers. Keon Ellis, when he's on the court, the uh, opponents are scoring seven point eight points less per hundred possessions. That's the highest among any player on the Kings team. And it, it's not just a, a numbers thing. He makes plays on defense. It, you can see it when he's like it, every time it seemed like every time he missed a shot, this is not literal, but just watching the games, if he missed a shot, he would like get a steal or a deflection on the other end, almost immediately on the next possession. So there's just something to his, the, the way he defends, the way he gets in passing lanes. He's very shifty. I don't think his future on this team is at point guard, whether it's, starter or off the bench but he can be a piece and i think his defense has been too good to sit him especially if mike brown is going to preach that the team needs to be better on defense i think the the best thing you can do is reward the two-way guy who is in my opinion playing the most impactful defense on anyone on the roster right now so i hope he stays in the rotation uh it, it'll probably be off the bench but I, I really hope mike brown doesn't just put him back in stockton or uh way at the end of the bench where he's not playing every night i'd love to see keon ellis get a stretch here where he's a, a part of the bench rotation every night until someone else proves they should get those minutes instead. You know what? I got one thought on this thing too. And I'd, I'd really be interested in what the Kings Herald guys think that, you know, if there's any sense to it or if I'm just, you know, going off the rails, but it seems to me like, uh, you know, you could go small a good bit and use Herder as a backup three. I mean, he's certainly a better player than Duarte, and uh, and his rebounding has been pretty good. So if you're not going to use Harrison in particular posting up more, then then why not? And yeah. you know, your second best rebounder now is is uh, Keegan. So you know, you play him at the four, and uh, and that way you can utilize your best players more. 
you know, and that's what we always talk about. How do you get your best players on the floor? Well, you might, you know, it's something I hadn't really thought, but the more I watch Herter, I think defensively, he probably, he'll get overpowered some, but he, he matches up physically better quickness wise and things with, with small forwards than he does active big guards. So I want to run through a couple of other coaching decisions that uh, Jerry, you touched on one at the very beginning and we'll start there, I guess. Um, what did you guys feel about, how did you guys feel about the decision of Mike Brown swapping Alex Lennon for JaVale McGee these last couple of games? Jerry, do you have any insight as to why he did that? And, and, and what were your thoughts on it? Well, the only thing I could come up with, because I thought JaVale played pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought he played pretty good. The only thing I can come up with is he, he might have remembered JaVale when he was a little kid with the Monarchs, too. And it's thought, well, I'm just, well, he's an asshole. I don't, <laughs> so I don't, other than, other than that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I think it's probably as simple as I got to shake things up. And, you know, Alex is a pro's pro. And it probably, I think maybe as much as anything, he said, I'll, I'll give Alex a chance to play because he's a good guy. He's hardworking you know, uh, we're not likely to be hurt by it. And this maybe, maybe uh, make JaVale, you know, a little more aware. But uh, as it turned out, uh, Alex was terrific, I thought. Uh, but, yeah, I can't see this. I mean, it's not, it's not McGee deserved to be benched. And yet, it's also true, maybe Alex deserved to play. Yeah, Jerry, I was going to say, walk me through. Uh, if a player seemingly is has done nothing wrong in practice or on the court in, in, in a game, shaking things up just to shake things up in that regard, would you as a coach have pulled a guy playing well? Like, well, I got to throw Alex Lynn in there because we just got to change something and maybe JaVale McGee's the issue here? Well, would I? Now, I'll say this. Yeah, I have. Not in the NBA because I never had any, enough good players to put in. So I wasn't about to take <laughs> – take the few good ones if they're playing pretty good they're going to stay in there regardless till they're damn near can't breathe but uh yeah i've done that as a college coach uh, you know where i just thought is necessary to kind of shake the tree a little bit uh and kind of on that basis you know like well i'm gonna you know i'm not upset with this guy but we're gonna try something else you know, and then as we've all pointed out here, that second Houston game was just embarrassing. Yeah. You know, it's embarrassing. So I wouldn't, the way Sabonis played, if he decided to start McGee, I mean, I wouldn't have done that, but I, I might have, uh, you know, said, you know, pulled his chain a little bit quicker the next yeah. one. And he, and he may have, if, if he hadn't played so well. So, yeah, I, I it's it's a tough one, but it worked. Let's go with that. Sure. It worked. That that's all that really counts. Tony, anything to add to the uh, Alex win for uh, Javale McGee swap? Only that Alex Len was going to be the backup center until I think it was like September first that Javale McGee got signed. So Javale McGee was a very very late add. The Kings were comfortable with Len as their backup center coming into the season until McGee was available. So I don't think it's it was like McGee was way ahead of Len to begin with. And Len has only really been very good here when he's played in a bench role. He was good with Luke Walton. He was good in the playoffs last year under Mike Brown. And now he's playing well right now. So it wouldn't, it doesn't surprise me that Len is getting these minutes. It wouldn't surprise me if Len wins that role just because he, he, he was projected to be in that role anyways. Um, and I, I like what Mike Brown did there. I, I think Alex Len is a pretty good player. He's been pretty good every time he's played. So uh, if they want to roll with him over McGee, I am all for that. But one thing we do, one thing we do know, Will, is that they've got two good backup centers, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, you're talking about 10, 12 minutes and you can't play them both. So yeah. I, I suspect that, that, that coach Brown, I, I don't think there's anything with JaVale. I mean, that is he's against playing him and probably as the year goes along, we'll see, a different circumstance where JaVale will get the spot and he'll go that way for a bunch of games. But, you know, it's nice to know you've got uh, another guy that you can count on. And I think with both McGee and Lynn, you can count on those guys to be reasonably productive in 10 minutes a game. So we'll, we'll go from a decision that did get made to one that didn't get made. When the coaches are sitting around talking about all the spaghetti that they could throw at the wall and see what would stick, 
why do you think it was that the coaches never seriously considered starting Monk at any point in uh, during that rut with Fox out? Why why was Malik Monk not considered or at least given the spot over somebody like Keon Ellis, who you'd assume hadn't maybe earned it as much as Malik Monk had? Boy, that's uh, I mean, I'm with you there. I, I assumed that he would, because if you're going to replace Fox, the closest guy like Fox is Malik Monk. I mean, from a talent standpoint and, and, you know, in fact, there's been people even say, well, you know, people were saying some people, why don't they play him with Fox? And then, you know, you got the different slants on it. It's like, well, of course you could. They did in Kentucky and they were terrific together. <laughs> so you, if that's the way you want to go, I, I think around fields and I think he's got a right to feel that way that when everybody's healthy and playing at their best monk, brings you that special energy off the bench that probably nobody else could. And I think there's some truth to that now. Yeah. So, but I mean, is Monk uh, better than Davion? Yes. Is he better than Ellis? Yes. So that's, that's a given. <laughs> Tony, as a fan, how close were you to writing? <laughs> I mean, I, I would have figured you'd start Malik Monk before you start Keon Ellis, but I, the fact that Mike Brown didn't, I guess, just tells you he's just not going to start Malik Monk, and that's just how he views the roster. And I, I guess that's fine. That's what I mean. There's nothing wrong with Mike Brown's decision. I can see why he wants Monk off the bench because without Fox, this team has two, like two offensive creators. It's Sabonis and it's Monk. And if you got both those guys in that starting lineup, I don't know who is making any offense happen for the bench unit. So I can see the logic behind not starting Monk and he's closing these games anyway. So it doesn't really matter, but I'm, I'm with both of you that I, I, you would have figured that Monk would be the easy guy to start there. Okay. So I just want to get, I, I, I know we've kind of covered each of the players. I want to get your guys' thoughts on some of these games, just so we have a record someday to look back on when the Kings win a championship, this was the run that did it. So we'll, we'll, uh, We'll get started here. What were your thoughts on uh, that buzzer beating loss to the Warriors? A any thoughts on that game in particular that we haven't already covered? I know we had Clay hit a shot that Davion Mitchell was right on and Keegan Murray was right on. He just hit a shot to win the game. Do you guys have any thoughts on that game in particular? Well, I, th I just thought it was a great game. I mean, it was yeah. a really playoff atmosphere. I thought the Kings played extremely well. The Warriors played extremely well. I mean, it's two teams that really wanted to beat the other. And the fact that, you know, I just know from a selfish old man's perspective, I it crushed me to be truthful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just it really did. It, it I don't know if a regular season game has bothered me anymore in a long time. But uh, I thought the Kings deserved to win, which they did, and the Warriors also deserved to win. That's what happens. You only get one winner, but uh, that's why, you know, that game and then the Laker game, you know, where. They did did enough stuff that uh, uh, Houston just uh, took your breath away. Couldn't figure it out. I think I started to figure it out a little bit. I was, I was on, I think, with Whitey Gleason on 1140, and we talked about it a little bit. I said, one thing I can tell you, that's not the same Houston team. Yeah. You know? Yes. Uh, now, I, did, I mean, we knew they weren't, but we didn't know how much better they'd be. But you look at the roster – I mean, getting Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, whether, whatever you think of him, uh, you know, I don't like it, but he's a player and a veteran player that's been a winner. Van Vliet's been on a championship. Uh, then your three young guys, Sinjin and, and Jabari Smith, Jalen. Uh, I mean, those guys, Jalen Green, I mean, that's that's pretty salty bunch. And then you got a terrific coach. That's a hard edge to him, which is exactly what they need because they didn't have it last year. They were softer and mush. And 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 Yudoka's not going to tolerate that. And, you know, it, so it's one of those things, truth matter is, uh, I mean, right now they're a better team than the Kings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not just because of those two games, but they've kind of proven it since. They, they slapped around the, the Warriors even worse, I think, so. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lakers, so, yeah. So that makes it a little bit easier to rationalize. Uh, but, and I like to rationalize, but had they lost my five points each game, that would have been easier to rationalize. <laughs> 30 points, very difficult, very difficult. 
Tony, uh, Rockets are, are six and three. They beat the Lakers, Pelicans, and the Nuggets after dog walking the Kings. Do you have any thoughts on either the Warriors game or either of the two Rockets games? Just the the Warriors game put me in such a, a it was I put me in a bad mood because they lost to the Warriors again, and I'm just so tired of losing to the Warriors. But I felt good about this team without Fox, and then to have those two Rockets losses come after, I just I don't. <laughs> I don't know. It like broke my brain to see them just get <laughs> destroyed by Houston two times in a row. But Houston's six and three, and they've beaten a lot of good teams. Maybe they're just good. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like I'm going to be thinking about those two losses and just soul searching uh, with regards to those until the end of the season. And we find out if, if this Rockets team is actually good. But because those, yeah, those losses were just so bizarre. Um, it, it sucks not to beat the Warriors. I'm just, I don't want to see that team anymore. Yeah, I'd have loved to have seen the Warriors get beat on a uh, Sabonis bank from like yeah. 16 yeah. feet. That, that would have yeah. been the ultimate like rubbing yep. a, a dirty diaper in their face. Uh, the only thing about that Warriors game is Chris Paul fits the Warriors so well. Like I, I didn't know. I, I was hoping they'd implode because Draymond and Chris Paul just wouldn't get along. But so far that there's like a, a synthesis of assholes there that just completely they just <laughs> they just vibe with each other in such a way that. If I've, I already don't like Chris Paul. I already don't like Draymond Green. But those two guys together on the same team is one of those things that, like, it's as feared. I hate them as much as I thought I would. And it was a it was a pain in the butt not to beat them without Fox. Well, well, Will, don't give up hope on those two uh, two guys <laughs> imploding. I, I still think there's possibility there because they, <laughs> you know, they're, they, you know, they are just the same personality in a way. <laughs> yes. you know. Uh, I mean, and Chris Paul's just as dirty a player too. Yeah. Always has been. I mean, he's he's all time great. I'll give him that. But yeah, I'm, but it has worked. I mean, by and large, it's worked, and I'm not surprised that it's worked. And yet, I I, I would be surprised if it works all year. How's yeah. that? Yeah, sure. That's that's what I'm counting on. You know, just uh, I mean, that's just like the joy of seeing James Harden going to the Clippers, yeah. and they're and they're zero and four, and 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 Philly with you know Maxi just going berserk, and they've they've just simply right now maybe the best team in the league. Yeah. I mean, they're really playing at a high, and you know basically getting rid of of uh, Harden and. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it all work with the uh, the Clips, you know. But seeing the Clippers, the the Phoenix Suns look pretty ordinary yep, yep. for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and yet, and then we talked about the Rockets right now. Who would have thought the Rockets at this stage, even early, would be better yeah. than the Clip Clippers and the and the Suns? Well, they are today. Yeah. I, I don't know if they'll be that way, but they've they've earned it. So. Yeah, that's that's the thing about the NBA. You just you know every year there's a team that comes out of nowhere. Last year was the Kings. Year before that is Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, so I think the year before that is Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's there's teams that just just are way better than you think. And uh, and then then more importantly for me, it's those teams that you thought were going to be really contenders look like very beatable. That that brings some some level of joy. Yeah. So so speaking of uh, absolute zero joy, um, after those two Houston games, the Kings went home. They played uh, Anthony simons list, a Scoot Henderson-less Trailblazers squad. They needed two free throws at the end of the game drawn by Malik Monk just to get to overtime. They beat the Trailblazers, but this was like truly what I, I was at that game, and it was truly like one of the worst vibe games possible. It, it was like I went to the dentist today, and I had a better time at the dentist than I did <laughs> at, at that game against the Trailblazers. Uh, you guys, you you guys remember anything from that game? Did you guys just dump it from your memory and just go, okay, we won, let's just let it go? Or did you guys have any thoughts on that overtime win against the Trailblazers? Yeah, I do. I mean, Skylar Mays <laughs> looked like an improvement over Scoot Henderson or, or Malcolm <laughs> Brogdon, who was a really good player. I mean, Malcolm had beaten out. I think Scoot anyway. Uh, so, you know, not that he's going to forever, but the truth is Skylar Mays played at a level that probably neither one of those guys could have anyway. And and I thought he that had a lot to do with keeping him in. And Jeremy Grant, you know, can put up numbers. And, of course, we helped him 
uh, you yeah. know, we, we, in case he needed some confidence, we provide it. But yeah, I'm with you. It was a, a very, very uh, unsatisfying win. Very unsatisfying because that, that team should be at the bottom of the West. It should be. And I think they will be when it's all, all over. My only thought from that Portland game was that I started, I was watching that game and I, I had for the first time in years of talking about this player, I kind of sat there, I was watching it and I thought, Hmm, Jeremy Grant might not be a bad, might not be a bad Sacramento King. That might not be a bad trade dark target at the deadline. We've talked about Siakam. We've talked about OG, the, those guys that might be just one tier above in what it costs to acquire them. Grant is owed a shit ton of money. His contract is huge, but I don't know. I mean, he, he might be, he might be a fit there. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got, he can sure score. I'm a guy like you, Tony. Well, I, I had not allowed myself to think about that. Yeah. And, was, and you know, I'm sitting there thinking, why not? What, what are you? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I mean, he's not us. As far as we know, he's not a serial killer or anything. So, uh, <laughs> right. So why am I so against uh, this? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm curious. Is he, is he still an impact defender enough? Cause we, we drew over OG Ananobi because he's the guy that you put on the best player every night and the best player on the opposite team has a bad night. Is Jeremy Grant still an impact defender enough to justify he's going to be making $36 million in 2027. Is, is he a good enough defender still to be making that money at 30 years old? Well, that that's the great question. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, as a player, you'd say he's worth an awful lot. I don't know that he's worth that. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I, but I'm kind of like Tony there a little bit is that, I mean, I could see, you know, with whatever flaws he's got, uh, how he could really fit and make you better. Now, if you want to, you know, to be like anything, if you could uh, kind of make the money up somewhere else, make it equal to some degree so you're not risking so much. Uh, but, you know, and they're going to be probably looking to move him. So, oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's. I mean, should they, so I get, I guess your question might be, and I'm sure, should the Kings be looking into it? I think they ought to. Sure. You know, I mean, you know, uh, kick the tires a little bit, see if you go, you know, see what, see, you know, see if there is a uh, something that might work. Okay, we're gonna roll to this last game, the most recent game for us. Um, thoughts on the Kings beating Oklahoma City at home in the first game of the NBA midseason tournament. How did what did you guys think about uh, Oklahoma City coming in uh, fairly confident, I feel like, with Fox being out and then kind of getting bullied into a loss by the Kings? Well, I mean, it, it was that. I mean, I thought Sabonis played an awfully good game, really kind of took it. It was kind of a, a Gonzaga reunion. And I think, you know, that obviously Holmgren's going to be a terrific player and, and and I think Domas just wanted to kind of let him know, you know, you, who the Boston town is. You know, there's no time for a new sheriff yet. So uh, so that was interesting. And uh, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander's who we thought he was, <laughs> and uh, they're going to be good. That's a nice young team, and the Kings beat them, and and that was very encouraging. That that's a team that's a playoff caliber team for sure in my mind i thought it was uh the best kings win of the year it's not saying it a lot because it's been a, a short season but yeah you beat that team without fox and i even think obviously like sga was awesome but i thought keon ellis did a very good job on him for for what he could do i mean i think uh shay just still still dropped 35 but keon made that a, a tough 35 if, if you can even say that <laughs> um so it was a good win it, and, and yeah i mean they're going to be an awesome team i thought chet sabonis was clearly stronger than him but chet for as skinny as he is like gave it back to him too on, on a couple occasions I, that's a that's a fun good team and it was good to see the kings pull out a win after two houston losses like we just talked about the gross Portland Trail Blazers win to actually have a good win against a good team was was needed. And I also want to hear if Jerry, like, what do you guys, Jerry? I guess we can go with you first. Does the in season tournament is this doing anything for you? The, the courts, the game meaning more? Did that do anything for you? Well, here's what I think about the courts. It, you know, it's, it's like video. <laughs> I haven't said that. The only court that I actually liked was the Kings. Okay. You know, I, I kind of thought their court now if they could uh, get rid of 
some of the blue and you know I like the gray you know I thought that was kind of neat I was I was telling Grant I said you know poor old Hubie Brown you know if, if he's talking about who's got the most points in the paint well it's like hell all the points are in the paint <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so but uh I guess overall, I think it's still, I, I just think it's hokey. I, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I just, I don't know, but what you're, you're doing more damage to the league than you are positive things, but you know, I'm old and, and there's, they're trying to attract, I guess, 15 year old video game players. Uh, and, and I think they'll fail in that venture by the way, but, <laughs> but that's just my thought. Yeah. I think Tony, like, I think the idea is good. And I think that if they're going to do it, they have to stick with it for 10 years. Like they have to have the younger audience get used to it because guys like me, I, I mean, I mean, guys like Jerry, it's going to be like, this is too, I don't need this. I don't care. I'm, I'm invested in 82 games as it is, but the kid that's playing video games, eight hours a day, trying to get his ass in front of the TV to watch it. I can understand that. I know they went with like a soccer model. I know Sabonis had said like, oh, it's a lot of fun doing it in Europe. It will take time to germinate. And if the NBA abandons it after three years, it's going to be seen as a failure. But if they take 10 years and and push it and make changes, like Jerry, the courts are ugly for sure. Uh, I liked Cleveland's court because it's subtle. You know, if you have a, having the the trophy in the center and on the, on the, you know, in the key, that's nice. Having a mm-hmm. very light line that that distinguish it as a different game, that's great. But don't go the weird like neon, like the Pelicans, like green and purple. Oh. Go go classy instead of going like you just painted this with spray paint. Like if you made them nice, like an NBA Finals court distinguishes it as something important. If you went that way with this tournament as well and you add some prestige to it, then people will treat it with a little bit more prestige. But right now, it's a headache. It is absolutely terrible to look at. It looks like a pop-up ad, and and I can't. I, I like I'll be okay with the tournament, but right now it is this first year is just ugly. It's a misstep, at least the first year. Yeah, I uh, I mean the first game I watched, and I I think I can't remember what quarter uh, uh, was, but it's just bizarre. You know, I didn't know <laughs> what what they were doing, uh, but I, I was telling my son we watched a little bit, and I said. It, you know, this is University of Oregon. Yeah, uh, yes, you know, yeah, yep, perfect. What, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> uh, but I, I'm kind of like you. Well, well, I, I mean, I'll give it a chance, but I think they need to tone it down. I really do. If if it's a worthwhile tournament, let the you know kind of the tournament speak for itself. I mean, courage it. You know, the trophy and all that sort of thing. I think it's a good idea. You know. You want to have a little adjustments to the court to make sure everybody knows it's a tournament game. I think that's a, probably a good idea. Uh, you know, I sure like the King's uniforms. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, I just pray someday uh, before they put me away is that they'll decide what colors this team is. <laughs> it's only getting harder. <laughs> oh, geez. Jerry, you could live to 200 and that's not going to happen. <laughs> No, I know. No, no, I'm I'm done. I, I give up, you know, to probably night they'll be wearing red or something. I don't know. Um, I just want to mention that I can criticize the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh just watching that game just to wrap it up. Uh Chet Holmgren was good. He's gonna take a little while. Uh Josh Giddy could not guard a piggy bank with a Sherman tank. Keegan's dunk on Chet Holmgren was Josh Giddy's fault. Ooh. Josh Giddy got jab stepped and went the exact opposite way he should have. And it, that's ugly. That was real ugly stuff. And so it pains me to say I can criticize the Oklahoma City Thunder a little bit. Josh Giddy, great on offense, just as bad the other way. One last thing on the OKC game, now that I remembered it. Sasha Vasenkov, we have not seen him in a while. He had some big shots in that game. And it was nice to just see him yes. get on the court and make some impact plays happen. Two big threes against the Thunder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wouldn't have won without him. And, and I, I thought it was interesting, uh, uh, you know, how... Certainly, there's no doubt that uh, Domas was trying to find him. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, and, and help him get going, which is that's who he is. But I, I think they'll need Sasha, uh, you know, during the season here. And I, I thought too. I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but maybe I'm just I noticed him sitting on the bench. This was before he hit the threes. He looked like a, uh, like a pretty beaten puppy. Yeah. 
you know yeah. i mean it is it was like boy is this what i came to america <laughs> for and uh then of course then you know they made some threes and domas was you know hugging him up and you know look all of a sudden it's a new world it's amazing <laughs> but that's how quick things can change yes okay tony we're going to go over to you for the patreon question of the day Thanks, Will. On every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons. You can submit questions at patreon.com slash King's Herald or the website or on Twitter. Every question that you ask will get answered either here or on the Patreon exclusive Q&A, which we record once a month. So keep submitting questions. If you don't hear it on this show, it's probably going to get answered on the Patreon show. This week's question comes from Tom L. Tom L., uh, First starts with the statement, I guess, over under 2.5 players. As a follow-up, how many Kings players will be traded before the trade deadline? Bonus, if you can say what is or are the trades going to be. So, Jerry, over under 2.5 Kings players traded by the deadline and any insight into who who that might be? Well, uh, I could see see, uh, two, so I, I would say under. Uh, I could see, I mean, it's hard to make a, a lot of trades. That's for sure. Especially get better now if, it, you know, if it's a case you trade four guys for a second round pick or something, you know, off your, your two way players. And I don't know if we'd even count that, but uh, you look at uh, guys who may be expendable and are valuable, you know, have talent that te- other teams might want. Of course it goes, starts probably with Harrison. Uh, I've, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Ellis might might be drawing some attention. But I, I would say Davion and Harrison are the most likely uh, because they have value and, and other teams can see in them maybe something that maybe even the Kings don't see. Or not, and, I'm, you know, that's how it works. Uh, and so now what, what can you get? Uh, yeah, well, if you could get trade those two and get uh, – Joel Embiid, I'm all for that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, but I, I think this team probably will try to make a move, I, I guess what I'm saying. I, I could see that. I, I don't think they're quite where Monty thought they might be. And, and, and I think if they could get another – some way to get another big athletic four, which, you know, I haven't been – whining about that very long have I uh, but I think that's still still maybe a piece that they just simply need uh, to to stay as a, a winning team will over under two and a half um I bet it's like two and a draft pick like I could see them, I could see the Kings. It might be a half. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll count that as the half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, they're an eighth grader right now. It's there. It's a. It's gonna be a half. So, um, yeah. I I think. Jer- no. Now. Now wait a minute. Now, if it's a second round pick, is that a half or in a first round pick? Oh <laughs> yeah. See now yeah. we gotta we gotta set the parameters. Yeah, that's a quarter. Here. That's a quarter. <laughs> okay. So so maybe yeah okay so we'll say two second rounders or okay. a first round pick okay so either way two and a half i'd say we'll say it's right at two and a half no i think jerry's right i think we need a a, a defensive guy i think we need a, another power forward obviously harrison davion are probably the two most likely to get moved i was trying to think while while jerry was talking about uh, about who gets moved who who that might be and i think the bulls are going to blow it up like i would love an alex caruso deal i would love e- even taking a swing on patrick williams who was very talented but just just hasn't you know hasn't seen it in chicago i keep coming back to jerry's line about trading your asshole for our asshole and i think <laughs> davion might be one of those guys as good as he is for the kings he just might need a change of pace he might need to be the guy that walks the ball up the court every single time and he can't play in an offense that jordy Fernandez draws up to score 150 points a game so so he gets swapped out for patrick williams or or as part of a deal for alex caruso um I'm trying to find a way to get Poku on this team just as a, as a power <laughs> forward that would fit when he's not injured, a running team. He blocks shots. He can, he can uh, theoretically shoot three pointers. He's, he's kind of wasting away on the bench now for the thunder because they're ready to play now and, and don't need him to develop quite as quick. Th- there's a lot of guys. I think there's a lot of these teams that uh, in another 10 games, we'll know if they're truly, truly sinking into the muck 
or if they're if they're you know pulling up from a bad start and i think 10 games from now this question gets a lot more interesting because the kings are one of those teams that still needs to pull it up out of the muck a little bit and with fox coming back i think we'll really be able to tell what the kings need more than during this last two weeks where they were just playing without him and our bench isn't quite as deep as we thought it was yeah the hard part is just uh you know is, is identifying the guy that really would make the difference that's available. And it's not hard to identify guys you'd like, yep. but usually those are the same guys that the teams are on like. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, that, so anyway, but that, that's a good question. And I mean, I mean, I just think this is, as we've said, all said, I mean, it's not a finished product. Yeah. It's a work in progress. And uh, there's just no way three years from now you could say expect uh, the same roster. I mean, I'd you know I'd say only two or three guys might remain, yeah. three or four at the most, and that that's probably where it should play out. So, yeah, I know we I know Monty McNair looked at you know we were close on uh, they were close on uh, Vanderbilt they were close on Matisse Thybul like these are moves that those are both guys that I would have loved to have had on the Kings. So we know they're at least looking at the right guys and they know that there's a hole. And so I, I trust Monty McNair to find something, but I do think Jerry that this, this, at least this last stretch is kind of like a kind of a nudge on Monty. Like, Hey, maybe we're not as deep as you think we're wide, but we're not quite as deep as we think. Yeah. You know, looking back, I mean, I mean, we talked a lot about John Collins, you know, and I mean, he's, he's not a great, but he, I, he probably would have fit this team pretty well. Yeah. Uh, uh, of course, he fits uh, Utah pretty well, even though they're not doing well. But I think that that'll probably get a little better. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, and there'll be that so there'll be a deal like that out there where somebody's a little unhappy, uh, you know, isn't quite fitting. Kind of like Davion, and here maybe he doesn't fit as well here as he would somewhere else. Uh, yeah. I mean, like you mentioned. Uh, Chicago, yeah, well, I mean, they don't really have a point guard uh, per se, yeah. you know, uh, and so, and and really they're they're not in a rush to get up the floor because DeRozan and Zach know they're going to get to shoot it <laughs> when you do get it up there. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> I would say, yeah, it's like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm rambling here, but I, you know, so like Zach Levine, that guy is terrific. But I'm not sure how much you win with him. Yeah. You know, he's a terrific individual player, but it's called a team game for a reason. Yeah. You know, ask ask the guys playing with James Harden. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, uh, what what's your prediction? Uh, I have such a hard time um, betting on anything that doesn't involve more movement i'm a i'm a trade guy so i'll take the over and i also think just the dynamics in the western conference this year lend themselves to more trades than last year i we we thought phoenix like we thought the road for the kings would be harder this season into the playoffs but we thought it would be because of teams like the phoenix and the lakers that got better but now you've got teams like houston and dallas and the timberwolves who have seemingly gotten much better and it's just a it's a much tougher road like i thought it was going to be a hard road and now it's even harder and it's early, but it's even harder than I thought it would be because those teams, like I didn't think Dallas was going to be this good and the Timberwolves look very good. And I, didn't, I had no idea Houston was going to be this good. The Kings, you, you probably do need another player if you want to have a home court playoff series. Uh, and I'm not even sure a good player would be enough to get you a home court playoff series. You might need like a very, very good player to get you a home court playoff series in the West. So I don't think the Kings want to go backwards and the path forward might require a trade this year more than it did last year. So, and, and they have more pieces that you guys have already mentioned that you can kind of see the writing on the wall that a change of scenery might be in play for a few of these guys. I'll even throw a dark horse trade guy out there in Sasha, who I really like, but if he's not going to play consistently here, there are plenty of young teams who could and should try and get that guy off the Kings bench for a bigger role. So the Kings have pieces to trade. They have holes to fill. I'll take over, over two and a half. Okay, we'll roll on over to you, Jerry, for the uh, the Reynolds wrap up. What do you got for us? Well, you know, I was just just before uh, we went on the air, I was just thinking. Uh, my wife had been to Tahoe a few days, and she just got back, and I was just thinking, you know, how much I love 
being married. I mean, it's a real blast for those, you know, to, you know, to be with that special woman your entire life, knowing that you get to annoy her and piss her off her entire life. And, and that she does the same to you. I mean, that's, you know, that can't be overrated. I mean, you got, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, you know, I have a blast, you know, and she tell me go blank myself. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's a philosophy there, but it's, it's worked for damn near 56 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, but like I said, I just, it's one of those things. It's like, just sort of walk through the door and it's like, man, I just, my whole day got better, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I knew we was going to have some fun and, and get into a little verbal altercations, you know, but hey, that, that's part of it. So uh, if you've got that kind of situation, uh, or if you don't, find it, find it. Just realize, man, you, you don't have to be uh, uh, sleeping together every minute of the day to have fun, you know, because last time I checked, that'll go away about five years in. So <laughs> you better come up with something else. Hey, Tony, how long have you been married again? <laughs> Um, well, we just had a baby, so I, who even knows? Two years, <laughs> two years. I, what is time? <laughs> we'll start the clock. Three years we'll is start, time. Yeah, we'll check back <laughs> in three years, but, uh, we'll, but we'll let check back we'll sooner. Let it be on a personal, you don't have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Well, for everyone uh, here at the King's Herald, including uh, Jerry and Tony, I just want to thank you guys for listening to another episode. It's always fun getting to uh. To, to shoot the shit with these guys and figure out what they, uh, what they think is right and what I think is wrong. And uh, uh, it's, it's your listenership that allows us to do it. So uh, we will see you in two weeks. We'll be having a Patreon episode coming up in the next, uh, in the next episode or so. So in the next week or so, if you're a Patreon subscriber, look to hear all the, uh, the crazy answers that Jerry and Tony get into uh, <laughs> yeah. behind the scenes. <laughs> and some of them make sense. Some, most of them don't, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, next week, can't wait, guys. In two weeks, we'll be talking about a winning streak, hopefully. Absolutely. There we go. All righty. Well, we'll see you then. Thanks so much, everybody. <laughs>